Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of 2021. On today's episode, we'll start with a review of our win over Cagliari on the weekend, In part two, we'll check in on some of the other clubs at the top of the table. And in part three, we'll preview our match on Wednesday against Spezia. So let's start with the Cagliari match. Here's how it went. We have kickoff then. It is uh, Napoli who start the match here against uh, Cagliari. Play on, says the uh, referee. And it's Napoli coming forward once again. Square ball once again. Zielinski again. What a goal! From Zielinski, a fierce shot from just outside the box. Cranio beaten, and Napoli have the lead. Balukiewicz inside, but that's the uh, half-time whistle. So Zielinski's goal on 25 minutes is dividing the two teams. Certainly Napoli have been the better of the two sides, fully deserve their lead. No changes for now for either side. Saw some players warming up, certainly, but for now, no changes. It's a poor touch by uh, Nandez, but it's fallen kindly. Sotil puts it in low. João Pedro! It's an equaliser for Cagliari out of nowhere. João Pedro got a little bit lucky with the first shot, but boy, did he bury the second. It's not over yet, of course. This cross into the box. Zielinski, lovely! That is brilliant from Zielinski. Goal number two for him, and Napoli right back in the lead. Zano now. He's gone over. Nico Janis. 
And that's a second yellow for Liko Janis. And Cagliari are down to 10 men. It was a silly challenge, really. Here's Insigne from the corner. Fabian Ruiz with a cross. Bakayoko, keeper stays off his line, on his line, excuse me, it's still there! And it's in the back of the net, this time Lozano does finish it off. Now Di Lorenzo, is that a handball? Well, yes it is, penalty kick and a yellow card. He's only just come on, it's Caligara, I believe, who was in front of the ball. Insigne can have had his name to the score sheet as well. Here he goes, Lorenzo Insigne. Wonderful finish from the penalty spot. And it's Cagliari 1, Napoli 4. Here he is, Insigne. The run, he spotted the run from Di Lorenzo, but Politano's shot has gone wide of goal. And that's the last piece of action here. And it finishes Cagliari 1, Napoli 4. As you heard, Napoli won 4-1 on a brace by Piotr Zielinski and goals from Chucky Lozano and Lorenzo Insigne. Insigne scored from the penalty spot, which was our first penalty kick of the season. This was a great start to the new year and easily our best performance since we played against Inter. Piotr Zielinski took a big step in his progression, solidifying his importance to this club. We were by no means perfect, but we stopped the bleeding and we got the first win of what should be many wins in January. We'll talk about all of that in this review and we'll revisit our three keys to the match. But first, let's take a look at the starting lineups. Cagliari had three changes in their starting 11 compared to what we had predicted. Eusebio Di Francesco lined up his men in their usual 4-2-3-1 formation with Alessio Cragno in goal. Two of the changes were at centre-back. Sebastian Walukowicz and Luca Cepitelli started over Andrea Carboni and Diego Godin. Charles Lampos Liko Janis started at left-back and Gabriele Zappa started at right-back as we expected. Nahid Hernandez and Razvan Marin started in the double pivot, which we expected as well. The other change was Gaston Pereiro, who started over Adam Unas on the right wing. Ricardo Sotil started on the left wing. João Pedro started in the 10 spot. And Giovanni Simeone started at striker. Napoli had only one change to our predicted 11. Gennaro Gattuso lined up in the 4-2-3-1 as well. David Ospina returned between the sticks. Kostas Manolas and Nikola Maksimovic started at center back. Mario Rui started at left back. And Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right back. Fabian Ruiz started next to Tiamo Bakayoko in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne started on the left wing, but Chucky Lozano started on the right wing over Matteo Politano. That was the one change. And Piotr Zielinski played in the number 10 spot behind Andrea Petania at striker. So let's start with our three keys to the match. The first key to the match was that we needed to have a good first half, and we definitely did that. In our last episode, I talked about how I genuinely felt that the injuries and the compressed schedule were the reasons we struggled before the break. That break, short as it was, did this team a world of good. We came out looking energized, we looked hungry, we've talked about Di Lorenzo being overworked, and I don't think it was a coincidence that this was his best match in a long time. We seemed to be getting to every ball first, and when Caliotti got the ball, we closed them down very quickly to the point where they really struggled to get out of their own half. In our preview, we talked about the importance of scoring an early goal, because if we didn't, that may start to weigh on us mentally. We got that goal about midway through the first half. That play started with Bakayoko making an important tackle to win the ball in the middle of the field. I thought Bakayoko quietly had a very good game for us. 
Andrea Petania had a good game as well. I'll talk a bit more about him later on, but he laid the ball off to Zielinski on the goal, and then there was the finish by Zielinski. He didn't exactly pick the corner, but the shot had so much power that Cranio just could not react quickly enough. I thought that was our best attacking half since the second half against Inter. However, I wasn't terribly impressed with how we played in our own half, which is a good segue into the second key to the match. The second key to the match was that we needed to protect the ball. This we did not do so well, especially in the first half. In the fifth minute, Napoli tried to play the ball out from the back, but Fabian's pass for Di Lorenzo went straight out for a corner kick. Then only a couple of minutes later, Mario Rui lost the ball to a player you don't want to lose the ball to in Jao Pedro. Credit to Fabian for getting back to recover the ball on that play. And then in the 20th minute, Bakayoko slipped in the middle of the pitch, which led to a counterattack, but again Fabian got back to make the interception. Fabian didn't have a good game in the attacking phase, in fact he was really bad going forward. He had numerous shots go well over the bar, but he did play well on the defensive end. Finally, early in the second half, Kostas Manolas played a terrible pass intended for Maksimovic, but it went right into the path of Simeone. We played far too many square balls across the face of our own goal for my liking. Fortunately, Caliedi was not able to take advantage of these mistakes, and if they did, this match could have ended very differently. The final key to the match was that we needed to make the most of our opportunities, and that meant taking many shots and taking accurate shots. We absolutely did that. According to the official match report, we had 30 shot attempts consisting of 12 shots on target, 10 shots off target, and 8 blocked shots. Going back to our preview, we talked about two things. One was that good things happen when you shoot the ball, and we definitely saw that here, particularly on the Di Lorenzo shot that led to the penalty kick. We've also talked in this podcast about how we need Zielinski and Fabian to produce more goals. Zielinski certainly stepped up and did that. Fabian did not. Obviously, Zielinski scored those two goals, and I think Gattuso would have left him in to try for the tripleta had he not been on a yellow card. Meanwhile, Gattuso left Fabian on for the entire 90 minutes, which I think is pretty telling in itself. He's had a rough year, and last episode we talked about how he is no longer on Gattuso's untouchable list. By leaving him on, Gattuso was basically saying that he's not worth resting, so you can expect to see Diego Demis start against Spezia. If we didn't already know it, I think with this performance, Zielinski clearly established himself as our best midfielder. So we achieved two of the three keys to the match, and we got the win. I'll close this review with a few quick points. First, while this felt like a great win scoring four goals after some pretty awful performances, it certainly wasn't our best. We already talked about the careless play at the back. I was also not impressed with the goal that we conceded. Three different Napoli players looked really soft on this play. First, Insigne wasn't able to win the ball from Zappa on the wing. Then Fabian made a really weak attempt at a clearance after a poor touch from Nandez. And finally, Maksimovic wasn't able to stop João Pedro, though he was a bit unlucky that the ball fell so kindly for him. We also saw De Lorenzo get bullied off the ball later in the half, which led to a shooting opportunity for Ricardo Sotil. Maybe I'm nitpicking, but I've said it before, for a team coached by Gattuso, we can be very soft. On a more positive note, I think we need to give Andrea Petania some credit. This was probably his best game for us, and I think a lot of that had to do with how we used him. 
We didn't cross the ball to his head, but frankly, we didn't cross the ball much at all. I was impressed with that adjustment from Gattuso. We saw against Torino that crossing the ball didn't work well, especially when the crosses are poor. Instead, we played the ball to Patania's feet and he showed us how good his holdup play is. He may be clumsy in the box and he does need to get his shots off quicker, but for a big man, he actually does have a decent touch. Of course, the big play he made was the layoff to Zielinski on the first goal. He also showed on the Lozano goal why it's useful to have a big man. He outmuscled two Caliotti players to win the ball and to get the shot off. It was blocked, but it fell kindly for Lozano on the goal. The last thing I'll say is I thought Gianluca Manganiello did an excellent job officiating this match. I've called out a few referees for poor performances lately, so it's only fair that I recognize a good one as well. I thought Manganiello did a great job playing the advantage on the Likojanis first yellow card, which led to a shooting opportunity. We may have been a bit fortunate on the second yellow card, but I think it wasn't just the foul, but also Likojanis' reaction after the call that got him the yellow. And then there was the penalty decision. It was clear as day that that was a handball, but it was also the first penalty that we've been awarded all season. Full credit to Lorenzo Insigne for the shot. He's been in fine form lately and certainly deserved a goal. Cranio guessed correctly, but it was too well struck to be able to stop it. In the end, this was an important win, and like I mentioned earlier, with this win, we stopped the bleeding. We'll check in on the rest of the teams at the top of the table in part two. Next, let's check on how our competition did this weekend. Heading into this round, we were 9 points back of Milan, 8 points back of Inter, 2 points back of Roma, and 1 point back of Sassuolo, but we have a game in hand on all 4 of them. We were 1 point ahead of Juve and 3 ahead of Atalanta, who both have a game in hand as well. Lazio were next on 21 points, followed by Verona on 20, and Benevento rounded out the top 10. So let's start with Inter again. They beat Crotone 6-2 on a tripleta from Lautaro Martinez, an own goal, and goals from Romelu Lukaku and Ashraf Hakimi. Crotone's goals were scored by Nicolo Zanelato, that was his first, and a Vladimir Golomic penalty kick. This was a pretty comfortable win for Inter, even though they fell behind 1-0 and then they allowed Crotone back in it at 2-1. You just knew that Inter would come out on top. Both of Crotone's goals were really caused by Inter mistakes. The first Crotone goal came off a corner kick set piece. Inter's backline pushed up, but Nicolo Barella didn't, so Zanelato was wide open to head in the cross. Credit to Crotone for the play that led to the corner, though. Salvatore Molina played a perfectly weighted through ball for Pedro Pereira, who probably should have done better, but at least he won that corner kick. The second goal was from the spot. Once again, Arturo Vidal was late on his tackle, which was clear and obvious on the VAR review. We've seen this time and time again with Vidal, and I'm really starting to wonder if he is more of a liability than an asset for this Inter club. Fortunately for Inter, they have Romelu Lukaku. In addition to the goal where he made Sebastiano Luperto look like a child, he was also involved in the build-up to a number of Inter's other goals. He played the through ball on Lautaro's goal. He played the second pass on the own goal, which initially looked like Lautaro scored but was later ruled an own goal. He played the second pass on the third goal. 
His back heel did take a lucky bounce, but when you make positive plays, good things happen. Lukaku did leave the match early with what appeared to be a muscle injury, but judging by the reaction of the medical staff, it did not appear to be serious. Lautaro Martinez is a streaky player, but he's in fine form during this winning streak for Inter. He now has 6 goals and 3 assists in Inter's last 9 games, so he's averaging a goal contribution per match. By the end of the match, Inter were toying with Crotone. Ivan Perisic and Matteo Darmian made great plays to set up the 5th and 6th goals. Inter have now won 8 consecutive matches in Serie A. Just like before the break, Inter temporarily put themselves at the top of the table with Milan still to play later in the day. Milan had a tricky matchup against people in Zaghi's Benevento. Milan pulled off a 2-0 win on goals from Francesi and Rafael Leao. I say pulled off because this win certainly did not come easy. There was also a bit of controversy in this one. In the 12th minute, Brahim Diaz appeared to foul Gianluca Caprari in the box, but it wasn't given. In fact, referee Fabrizio Pasqua didn't even go to the bar to take a look at it. Then less than two minutes later, Alessandro Tuya collided with Antti Rebic in Benevento's box, but this time Pasqua awarded the penalty. Rebic did get to the ball first, but you couldn't help but think if that was a foul, then why wasn't the player on Caprari a foul too? Things took a dramatic turn in the 33rd minute. Sandro Tonali went in too high on Artur Yonita. He was initially shown a yellow card, but VAR reviewed the play and very quickly and correctly determined that this was a reckless tackle, so the yellow was upgraded to a red. So once again, Stefano Pioli and his men were faced with a big test, having to play down a man for nearly an hour, and once again, they passed with flying colors. Milan did really well to protect the lead. I thought two players were key to that. Simon Kier was phenomenal at the back in his return from injury, and once again, Gigio Donnarumma made some big saves to protect Milan's lead. Benevento had plenty of chances but just could not seem to score. Roberto Insigne smashed a shot into the upright in the first half. He had another chance in the second half where he tried to backheel the cross instead of opening up his body and shooting with his preferred left foot. Gianluca Caprari had a penalty kick in the second half but completely missed the target and I already mentioned the saves that Donnarumma made. I have to say though, I'm really impressed with how people in Zaghi has this Benevento team playing. They don't simply defend and counter, they actually have their own identity. When they get the ball, they work it around, progress their way up the pitch, and they create scoring opportunities. Even before the red card, Benevento were playing their game and taking it to Milan. At the same time, Milan came close to scoring another goal on a couple of occasions as well. Both Hakan Chalanoglu and Francesi hit the upright in the second half. But it didn't matter, Milan hung on to win 2-0. Not only did they play most of this match with only 10 men, and not only were they without Ibrahimovic, but they were also without Teo Hernandez who was suspended for yellow card accumulation, yet they got the win and I have to say, this team is really starting to seem like a team of destiny. Moving on, Roma beat Sampdoria 1-0 in the pouring rain at the Olimpico, Eden Dzeko scored the only goal of this match. If I'm not mistaken, this was the second time this season where Roma played on a pitch that was nearly unplayable, especially in the second half. The pooling really slowed the ball down. Ironically, Roma scored their goal in the second half. This was a beautiful team goal. By my count, Roma completed 27 passes without Sampdoria touching the ball in the build-up. They worked both sides of the pitch, they went back when they needed to, and on one occasion where Sampdoria pressed, they made some quick passes to get out of a messy situation. Beyond the goal, neither side really tested the opposition's keeper much. Lorenzo Pellegrini had a shot stopped by Emil Adaro in the first half. Pellegrini was probably Roma's best player in the first half. Before the goal, Chris Smalling hit the bar with his header. 
Sampdoria played their usual game of sitting back, looking to strike on the counterattack. Antonio Candreva came close in the first half, but Paolo Lopez tipped his bending shot over the bar. Then in the second half, Martin Thorsby had a good chance with a header from close range, but it was straight at Lopez. I'm sure Romanisti were happy to see a clean sheet though. Roma's biggest weakness is probably in goal. This was only their fourth clean sheet of the season. Atalanta absolutely pummeled Sassuolo 5-1. Duven Zapata scored a brace and Matteo Piscina, Robin Gosens, and Luis Muriel scored the others. Vlad Kirikesh scored the sole goal for Sassuolo. Like Napoli, Atalanta looked like they really benefited from the short break. They pressed really high, which is something we haven't seen much of from them lately. That forced Sassuolo to give up possession very easily, and as a result, Domenico Berardi and Chicho Caputo barely touched the ball. Adam Summerton, who called this game, noted that Caputo was the most efficient player in Serie A last season, scoring a goal for every 3.2 shots he took, but it's very difficult to score when you hardly see the ball. Sassuolo's defending in this match was really poor. Vlad Kirikesh and Gianmarco Ferrari really struggled to contain Atalanta's front three of Duvan Zapata, Josip Ilicic, and Matteo Pessina. In fact, they struggled to defend anything down the middle. We saw Robin Gosens carry the ball straight through the midfield and score with his off foot. We saw super sub Luis Muriel finish a play where Atalanta passed through Sassuolo's back line with ease while they stood flat-footed watching and waiting for someone else to make a play. And we saw Zapata score a brace. A few episodes back, we talked about how Zapata's goal against Roma may have opened up the floodgates after he was pretty unlucky at the start of the season. He didn't score against Bologna, but he also didn't start in that match. Sassuolo is definitely a team he likes to play against, though. According to the broadcast, Zapata now has 9 goals in 11 appearances against them. What we didn't see in this match, or rather who we didn't see, was Papu Gomez. With the way that Ilicic and Piscina played, Papu does not appear to be missed very much. This result was validation for a lot of people who were expecting Sassuolo to drop in the table. This result was also very big for Napoli fans. Sassuolo were one of the teams who leapt over us when we drew Torino, so we regained that position with our win over Cagliari. Finally, Juventus beat Udinese 4-1. Cristiano Ronaldo scored a brace and Federico Chiesa and Paolo Dybala scored the other two. Martin Ziegler scored the late goal for Udinese. Even with five goals, I did not find this game to be particularly entertaining, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Napoli fan. Juventus were able to get behind Udinese's backline far too easily. On three of Juve's four goals, they were able to get behind that backline. Rodrigo De Paul had a tough day at the office. He had his pocket picked on two of Juve's goals. He also had a goal taken away by VAR for handball. Even though it doesn't matter whether the handball is intentional or not, I think this was the right decision here. The ball was coming across De Paul's body and he seemed to very inconspicuously tap it with his arm back out in front of him. Even if you thought that was harsh, the same thing happened to Juve in the second half. Aaron Ramsey had a goal ruled off for handball. In fact, this decision was far more harsh to me. Ramsey had fallen over and Musso kicked the ball into his arm. There was absolutely no way Ramsey could have avoided it, but again, it doesn't matter if the handball is intentional or not. That was unfortunate though, because I thought Aaron Ramsey was one of Juve's better players in this match, and he was probably deserving of a goal. He stole the ball from DePaul on Ronaldo's first goal, and he had a decent effort on target that was stopped by Musso. 
Once again, Ronaldo was the best player on the field. His first goal was pure class. The power and accuracy on the shot made it completely unstoppable. He also assisted on Keza's goal with a perfectly weighted pass with the outside of his right boot. I'm sure Juventini were happy to see Dybala score as well. He was only playing because Morata got hurt prior to the match. We'll see if this goal and some regular playing time will turn things around for Dybala. Adrian Rabiot also didn't play in this match. Because of the Coney decision, Rabiot still needed to serve his one-game suspension for the red card that he picked up against Roma. To use Juve's words, they used an abundance of caution and kept Rabiot out of the Fiorentina match to be safe. But that match was on the same day as the Coney decision and it turns out that the suspension must be served at least a day after the ruling. In other matches, Lazio dropped points again, drawing 1-1 against Genoa, despite being awarded yet another penalty. And Hellas Verona beat Spezia 1-0 with a ridiculous bicycle kick goal by Mattia Zaccagni. So we didn't gain any ground on Milan, Inter or Roma, who all won. We did retake 4th position from Sassuolo, who dropped to 6th, with Juve winning as well. They're only 1 point ahead of Atalanta and 3 points ahead of Verona, who moved past Lazio for 8th place. So that will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our match on Wednesday against Spezia. final part we'll preview our midweek fixture against Spezia. This is the first meeting between these two clubs in Serie A so there are no precedents to look to. Spezia currently have a record of 2 wins, 5 draws and 8 losses which puts them in the final relegation spot. They're tied with Torino and Genoa on 11 points but Torino have a better goal differential. Spezia have really struggled this season. They have not won a game since their 3-0 win against Benevento on match day 7 and they've lost 5 of their last 6 matches. What's worse is they're not just losing to the superior clubs like Sassuolo, Milan, Juve, Lazio and Inter. They're also losing to the clubs that they're competing with for survival like Crotone and Genoa. Much like we talked about people in Zaghi and Benevento in part 2, the Spezia team has an identity as well. Vincenzo Italiano has them playing attacking football, which is fun to watch. Prior to their match against Hellas Verona, Spezia had scored at least one goal in each of their previous six matches. In fact, they've only not scored in a match three times this season. The problem is that attacking style also exposes Spezia at the back. They've conceded 30 goals so far this season, 
which is fifth worst in the league. Spezia's most recent game was a 1-0 loss to Hellas Verona on the weekend, but that scoreline was not an accurate reflection of how that game went. Verona were the far better side in the match, they just weren't very clinical, especially in the first half. If they converted some of those chances in the first half, this match easily could have ended 3-0 or 4-0 for Verona. Both teams were slowed down by the pouring rain, which didn't help a Spezia team that relies on the pace of their front three. Mbala and Zola has been a revelation for Spezia. He only started playing regularly after Andrei Galabinov picked up a serious injury to his quadricep muscle. Spezia signed Nzola on a free transfer from Trapani after Trapani were excluded from Serici. He's now scored 7 goals in only 11 appearances so far this season. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Vincenzo Italiano usually lines up in a 4-3-3 with even Providel in goal. Julian Chabot and Martin Ehrlich typically line up at center back, but Chabot picked up two yellows in that match against Verona, so he won't be playing in this match. I expect to see Claudio Terzi start in place of Chabot. Italiano has rotated quite a bit with his fullbacks. Luca Vignali has been the preferred option at right back lately, he even wore the captain's armband against Verona. Ricardo Marchizza has been the preferred option at left back with Simone Bastoni hurt. In the midfield, we should see Luciana Gume start again with Matteo Ricci hurt. He should play alongside Nahuel Estevez and one of Tommaso Pobega and Giulio Maggiore. I'll take Maggiore to start. At the front, Mbala and Zola is certain to start at striker. Italiano has used a few combinations on the wings. I think we'll see Emmanuel Giassi start on the right and Diego Farias start on the left, but we've also seen Giassi move over to the left to allow Kevin Agudelo to play on the right. For Napoli, I will continue to assume Gattuso lines up in a 4-2-3-1 until I see otherwise. Before the season started, he said he would use both formations depending on the opponent, but we really haven't seen that. We've almost exclusively lined up in a 4-2-3-1. I think we'll see Alex Meret start in goal. He appears to be the preferred option to start against the bottom of the table clubs. At center back, Kaladu Kulibali continues to do personalized training. I think Napoli are intentionally taking his recovery slowly with the lighter schedule we have this month, and given that we really have an extra center back in this squad. Nikola Maksimovic and Kostas Manolas started against Cagliari, so I'm inclined to think that one of them will get a rest with Koulibaly still recovering. We also saw Amir Rachmani get a few minutes of playing time at the end of the Cagliari match, which makes me think that was a bit of a warm-up before he starts. I don't think Gattuso would start Maksimovic and Rachmani together, so I'm going to go with Rachmani to play in Koulibaly's usual center-left position and Manolas to start at center-right. I think we'll see Mario Rui get another start at left-back, though I'm not terribly confident in that. I don't think we'll see Fauzi Goulam starting with the pace of Emmanuel Giassi on the right wing, but perhaps we see Elcide Kusai start there instead. Kusai could potentially start at right back as well, but I'm going to stick with Giovanni De Lorenzo there. As we spoke about in part 2, with Fabian playing the full 90 minutes against Cagliari, I think that was a sign that he starts on the bench for this one. I'll take the rested Diego Demme to start with Tiemo Bakioko in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne will likely start on the left wing wearing the captain's armband. He rarely sits out a match. I think we'll see Matteo Politano start on the right wing. Chucky Lozano appears to be the first choice right winger, but he can't play every match, so this is a good spot to give him some rest. Until Dries Mertens recovers from his injury, I think we'll continue to see Piotr Zielinski in the number 10 spot. Mertens returned to Napoli on Tuesday. He was tested for COVID and he tested negative. So now he will return to training with the hope of having him back for the Coppa Italia match against Empoli on January 13th. 
Likewise, until Victor Osman recovers from COVID, I think we'll continue to see Andrea Batania start at striker. A quick note on Victor Osman, since we didn't have a new segment on this episode, he did issue a public apology for contracting COVID at a party in Nigeria. He said, I'm so sorry for what happened. I was wrong to go to Nigeria in this moment, even if I have many loved ones over there, including my brothers. I was wrong to take part in the party. I didn't understand the severity of what I was doing. I apologize to the club the coach, the team, and the fans. I love the way that Gattuso handled this situation. He told Sky Sport that he is at fault too for allowing Osman to travel to Nigeria. Finally, Osman's agent, Roberto Calenda, defended his client in an interview with Il Matino. He said he shouldn't be blamed for a family party. He committed naivety. You also need to know the context to get a complete picture of the matter. We are talking about a 22-year-old boy who has lived through a very difficult period in recent months. He lost his father a long time ago, and with this injury, things got even worse. He hadn't seen his family for months, and when he came home, they organized a surprise party for him. So it's okay to judge the mistake he made, but let's not act like he went to a nightclub in Ibiza. He made a mistake, and he apologized to everyone. Alright, so let's get to our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is we need to defend from the front. Spezia like to play the ball out from the back, so this can be done in two ways. One option is the high press. If we put pressure on their back line, then they will likely play long ball straight back to us, or they could try to knock the ball around and potentially expose themselves. We saw Verona do this to Spezia in their recent match, and the press was particularly effective in the first half. However, this approach could be risky as well. When you press high, you tend to leave more space in the midfield, one way to address that is for the back line to push up to the midfield. But if you do that, then you expose yourself to the long ball over the top, which could be very dangerous when you consider the pace of Spezia's front three. I think what we're more likely to see is for our front three to drop back, allow Spezia to pass the ball out of the back, and let them come to us. That's essentially their approach we took against Cagliari, and it worked quite well. Once they got into the midfield, then our forwards closed them down, and Cagliari quickly gave the ball back to us. The second key to the match is we are going to need our midfielders to help defend in the middle of the pitch. As I mentioned, between the pace of Emmanuel Giassi and Mbala Nzola, not to mention the creativity of Farias or Agudelo, whichever starts, our center backs are going to need help regardless of which pairing starts. If it's Rachmani and Manolas or Maksimovic and Manolas or Maksimovic and Rachmani, they are going to need help from their central midfielders. That's another reason why I have Diego Demme starting over Fabian. Aside from being the more rested of the two players, Demme is far better defensively. He's quicker and he plays with more grinta than Fabian does. The key to that Spezia front three is Mbala and Zola. He's like a poor man's Romelu Lukaku with that lethal combination of strength, pace, and finishing ability. That's where Tiamoe Bakayoko comes in. The combination of Demme's pace and Bakayoko's strength should be sufficient to stop Nzola. My only concern is something that I've talked about previously on this podcast, which is that we generally lack creativity when we start Bakayoko and Demme together, so we're going to need our forwards to pick up the slack in that regard. The final key to the match is we need to carry the momentum we built up from the Caliade match into this one. I know Caliade is not a good team and Spezia are even worse, but we can't take any opponents for granted. We need to take as many points as possible from our six Serie A matches in January, and quite frankly, with the teams that we play, we could very well take all 18 of them. I was going to say that there's no reason why we shouldn't take all 18, but there is one. In addition to the six Serie A games, we also play Empoli in the Coppa Italia and Juventus in the Supercoppa Italiana. 
Both of those games are followed by tough matches. The Empoli game is followed by Fiorentina, who are steadily improving under Prandelli, and we could be looking ahead to that Supercopa match. The Supercopa is followed by a match against a very good Hellas Verona team, who will have fresh legs, and to me, that one will be the hardest one in this stretch. Back to this match though, I would especially like to see two individuals carry their form from the Caledi match into this one. I'm talking about Piotr Zielinski and Andrea Petania. I'm not expecting Zielinski to score two goals every game, but I do want to see strong performances like that more consistently, and I think he's definitely capable of that. For Andrea Petania, I want to see him play well again, but that also means the players around him need to play well again too, and it means we have to continue to use him the right way. The head official for this match is Maurizio Mariani. He's officiated 11 Napoli matches since 2016. We have a record of 9 wins, 1 draw, and 1 loss during that stretch, and the 1 loss was earlier this season against Sassuolo. His assistants are Marco Bresmes and Damiano Margani. The fourth official is Davide Garcini, and Luca Banti is on the VAR, assisted by Stefano Del Giovanni. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win on goals from Insigne, Petania, and Zielinski, and I'll give the Spezia goal to Inzola. I think this game is going to be similar to our match against Atalanta. We struggled against teams that sit back and defend. We've looked far better against teams that are more aggressive because that approach naturally creates more space on the pitch. The way the Spezia team plays, I think we'll have plenty of opportunities. If we come out with the same intensity and urgency that we played with against Cagliari, I think this should be a comfortable win. So that will do it for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. We'll talk to you again later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one against Udinese. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.